Well, there we go. Good morning. How about that nor'easter? <laughs> well, it is good to be here with you guys, and I uh, hope a lot of you online are shoveled out and enjoying a nice cup of coffee or something and uh, tuned in. So I'm privileged to get to speak to you this morning. My name is Sam Huggard, and I uh, work with uh, our association of churches, uh, the Evangelical Free Church of America. So our church is not just uh, one solitary church. Uh, we're connected to, first of all, um, the Be Free churches, um, but that church is connected to an association much larger than that. Uh, there's about 1,500 evangelical free churches across the country, and uh, here in New England, there's about 57 uh, 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 churches with about eight church plants that are formed. And I work with those churches, trying to help encourage pastors, uh, provide help for churches in times of need, and uh, help catalyze the beginning of new churches. And uh, so it's a privilege to be here today with you, and uh, especially during the season of Advent. Um, and so we're going to be reading this morning from Luke chapter 1, which is a very uh, familiar passage during Advent. And we're going to be considering the story of uh, Zechariah. It's a story about waiting. Now, I'm going to read a good chunk of the story. So um, if you have a Bible, uh, please uh, turn there. I'm going to read starting in verse 5. Um, I'm not going to read everything in Luke 1, but we are going to end up at verse 79. All right, so in, enjoy the story. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children, because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was, was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. 
Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Uh, Let's jump over to verse 57 for the end of the story. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father. But Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed, there is no one in all your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. And he motioned for a writing tablet. And to everyone's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. Awe fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean countryside. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and redeemed His people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of His servant David, just as He promised through His holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering His sacred covenant, the covenant He swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way of the Lord. You will tell His people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide us to the path of peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Uh, You give us your word uh, to be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Uh, You guide us, helping us to know who you are, helping us to know uh, your intentions towards us. Uh, Lord, helping us to know how we can be right with you through Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we are grateful this morning. Lord, I pray that you would use this time, that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit, Uh, You would form us, Lord, to become people who are patient in waiting, who are expectant in waiting, and who are longing for the day when you will come again. So please, uh, speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have found uh, that I am not very good at waiting. Uh, That's not my strength, not my skill set, whether it's uh, calling customer service and getting put on hold for what seems to be like hours, whether that's sitting in a waiting room at a doctor's office, uh, whether that's waiting in line at Trader Joe's just to get into the store, uh, or the worst of all, waiting in traffic. Waiting in traffic. I I was reminded of how poor I am at waiting in traffic recently. Uh, My daughter uh, Isabel had flown back in from college. She flew into Logan, and so Wendy and I were headed down to Boston to pick her up. And I thought given the time of her flight, it would be pretty clear sailing heading into Boston. Not so. Uh, There was a long backup, 
and I got a little more frustrated waiting in line. And, and what I tend to do when traffic grinds to a halt is I begin looking at the different lanes and trying to pick, based on the cars I see in front of me, which lane I think will go fastest. If I see a four-door sedan, a Cadillac, you know, four cars ahead, probably not going to be real aggressive. You know, a little sports car, I'm behind that guy. And so I'm trying to pick the lane that will go fastest. Now, I not only do that, but I then, once I make my move, usually keep track of where I would have been had I stayed in the previous lane and get a little bit disappointed if the car that was me gets ahead of me when I'm in my new lane. Uh, I, I see some of you nodding and laughing, so I'm not alone in playing that little game. Okay. You know, I, I think that I'm not alone in being kind of poor at waiting. We live in a culture that's all about the immediate, right? Uh, we can watch TV on demand. I remember the good old days where you, you had to wait till Thursday night till your show would come on for a half hour and then wait a whole other week to watch it again. Uh, now it's on demand. Now, we can stream movies rather than actually getting out of the house and going to Blockbuster to rent a movie. It's right there when we want it. Uh, we can order Christmas presents on Amazon, have them shipped to our house the next day. No need to wait. Now, there's a reason um, why uh, Queen's song from 1989 is still getting played all the time on commercials. You probably know it, the lyrics. You know, I want it all, I want it all, and I want it. Now, that's right. I want it now. Uh, the season of Advent comes along and kind of pushes back on that idea. Now, we all want things right now, but Advent's all about waiting. I think it's an excellent opportunity that God brings our way every year to be reminded that having it all and having it now is actually not uh, the ultimate thing in life. Actually, learning to wait is part of God's good plan for us, and He has good intentions for us in the waiting. So that's my hope today, is to be able to give hope to those of us that find ourselves waiting, and I think we all do, especially this year. Uh, during a time of COVID-19, there's been a lot of waiting. Well, we're waiting for the season to be over, for things to be more normal again, right? We're waiting to gather uh, without masks um, and in the waiting, there's a lot of tension. People are more irritable. It's hard to wait well. And so that's what I want us to consider this morning. How can we wait well? So we're going to consider uh, the story of Zechariah and learn from this story about waiting well. And the first thing we see in uh, this account is that waiting reveals our faith. Waiting reveals our faith. I mean, to all external appearances, Zechariah and Elizabeth were pretty faithful people. Um, they were upstanding people. Uh, both were from faithful families, uh, both from uh, priestly lines. They were faithful in their worship to God. They were faithful to one another in marriage. Uh, they were faithful in their finances. Luke 1.6 tells us they were careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and regulations. Uh, that's better than me. Uh, they're, they're pretty faithful people. This is a good and a devout couple. Yet, despite their faithfulness to follow God's instructions, they find themselves waiting for an answer to their prayer. Now, I think as human beings, we tend to think, if you're good, God will give you what you want right away. And the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth tells us, not necessarily. Despite the fact that they are 
uh, following God's commands, their prayers are going unanswered in the way they want. They are waiting for an answer to their prayer. They have prayed long and they have prayed hard that God would bless them with a child who they could love and who they could care for and who would one day love and care for them. And year after year, they prayed. And year after year, they waited. They watched their friends and their family members uh, celebrate births and birthdays. Um, I'm sure they were genuinely happy for their friends, but probably also grieved a little at their own disappointment. They had hopes that their family line would continue through their son. Um, They probably looked forward to him serving in the temple like his dad and his granddad and great-granddad continuing this family legacy. Now, over time, I'm sure these dreams and wishes became increasingly painful as the years passed and that prayer went unanswered and they waited. Until finally, I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth resigned themselves to the fact that Elizabeth's childbearing years had passed and they would not have a child. Now, over those years of waiting, it doesn't seem that they turned from God outright. We still find them praying. We still find them reading Scripture. We still find them going to synagogue. But the waiting revealed something that was lacking in their faith. And what was lacking was revealed when the angel appeared to Zechariah as he was serving in the temple. Now, when the angel uh, told Zechariah that his prayers had been answered, good news, you're going to have a son, Zechariah's response reveals something here. He doesn't jump up and down. He doesn't say, finally, I am so excited that our prayers have been answered. Instead, he responds with suspicion, maybe even cynicism. He asked in verse 18 here, how can I be sure this will happen? How can I be sure? And the human part of me says, I can understand. (laughs) See, I fear that Zechariah represents many of us, especially those of us who have followed Jesus for quite some time. You know, hopefully, if you've been following Christ for a while, there is a measure of conformity to God's instructions. Hopefully, you have come to understand that God's ways are right and good. Um, Hopefully, you come to believe He knows best. So things like adultery, stealing, lying, those aren't things to be desired. So we have learned that it's best to do what God says in our behavior. But deep down, the question is, do we believe God is actually good and wants good things for us? If we do, then we will expect God to do good things, and we will receive His good gifts gladly, like a little child. Remember how Jesus said, Have faith like a little child? See, if you tell a child, I got a gift for you, they say, great, give me. An adult will say, what's the catch? Adults have learned to be suspicious. What's the catch? Children are glad to receive. So how did Zechariah the priest, the man who taught others about faith in God, get to the place where he became so suspicious of God's goodness that he couldn't believe this message of blessing when an angel was standing in front of him, giving it to him. How did he get to this place of suspicion? Well, I think verse 18 reveals the answer. Zechariah says, how can I be sure this will happen? Listen, I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Now, as an aside, Zechariah may have been suspicious when it came to God, but he wasn't an idiot when it came to marriage. 
Notice he says, I'm an old man. My wife is just well along in years. Never call your wife an old woman, all right? Well along in years is a much better phrase. Well, probably even skip that one too, all right? Well, when Zechariah gets this amazing message, he is prone to suspicion because he's focused on his limitations, right? He says, I'm old, so is my wife. He thinks of his age, the fact that Elizabeth is past childbearing years. Listen, listen. Zechariah is focused on his small story with its sorrows and with its limitations. In this moment, he's not mindful of God's larger story that's been going on for generations. And that story, guess what? It's filled with accounts of God giving children to barren couples. It's amazing how often in God's story that comes up. Um, This man, Zechariah, who knew the Scriptures so well, in that moment failed to think about the stories like Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, to whom God promised he'd be the father of many nations. And then they waited for decades and decades until Sarah was past childbearing years. And guess what? God gave them a child. God enabled her to conceive. Or or then their son, Isaac, um, whose wife Rebekah was barren and could not conceive until God opened her womb and gave them Jacob, who, guess what, married Rachel, who could not conceive until God opened her womb and gave her Benjamin and Joseph. You see, again and again in this story, we see accounts of God giving life to couples who could not have a child. God's larger story is filled with these. Yet, Zechariah was not thinking about that. He was thinking of his smaller story. He was basing his faith only on what he had seen God do in his lifetime, rather than basing his faith on the larger story of what God has done through the ages. So if his definition of God's goodness and faithfulness is only based on his life, then he's right to be suspicious. But if he's to base his opinion, his faith on who God is, on the whole testimony of God's story, then he's wrong to be suspicious. See, this right here is the temptation we face too. In the waiting, we're tempted to base our faith on what we see God doing just right now, in our own small stories, rather than the whole of his larger story. We're tempted to increasingly fixate upon our perceived losses and forget the blessings of the larger story. It's like a child who bases their opinion of their parents' goodness solely on whether they get what they want for Christmas, right? See, not immediately receiving what we want forces us to wait. And in the waiting, our faith is revealed. Will we continue to trust and obey God and believe that He is good? Or will we become suspicious? Waiting reveals which story we are living by, our own or God's God's larger. So just a couple questions for you to think about at this point here. In this season of waiting, um, what is this season of waiting revealing about your faith? Do you find yourself confident in God's goodness, or do you find yourself growing suspicious? Now, if you're like me, we all grow suspicious from time to time. The question is, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? See, as good a man as Zechariah was, a long period of waiting revealed that he didn't trust God as much as he thought. But the wonderful news of this story is that though Zechariah was revealed to be faithless, 
God was faithful. God could have said, you didn't believe the message, you're not having a son. You didn't believe, you're not going to receive. But we don't have a God that works that way. God still intended to bless Zechariah with a son. He still intended to work in Zechariah and work through Zechariah. You see, in waiting, God not only reveals our faith, but then He works to refine our faith. God does not reveal our lack of faith to shame or condemn us, but to improve us. So this is the second thing we see in this passage, that waiting refines our faith. Once Zechariah's lack of faith was revealed, guess what? He had another period of waiting ahead, nine months of silence, during which time Elizabeth probably won every argument. Must have loved it. Zechariah couldn't do the stuff he normally did during that time. He couldn't teach at the synagogue. Uh, There was probably more time at home thinking. And God was working in Zechariah during that time of waiting, during that time of waiting. See, he kept thinking about what the angel said to him. He kept thinking about what God was doing as he watched Elizabeth's stomach grow. Uh, During that time, God was refining Zechariah's faith. And we see this evidenced in two ways as the story concludes. We see it first revealed in the naming of his son. We see a different faith in Zechariah at this point. Zechariah's neighbors and relatives, they were so excited to see them finally have this child. Uh, And they came together to celebrate for the circumcision ceremony and the naming of this child. And they all expected, as was the custom, the child would be named after his father. And so when Elizabeth announced that the name would be John, they're all shocked. No, 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 no. You've waited this long. You want to make sure your legacy continues. Their neighbors saw this as a wonderful ending to their story. And Zechariah come to see, this is not about my small story. So instead of naming the child after himself, he names the child according to the name the angel gave him, revealing this child is about more than Elizabeth and I. This child is about what God wants to do in this world. He wants to give the world a sign that his large story of deliverance is reaching a crescendo. And John is the kind of the early the first note of what is happening. So we see in the naming of his son this refining of Zechariah's faith. We secondly see in his words of blessing and praise um, what he said about his son, what he said about God. Uh, we see his faith has become refined. In verses 68 through 70, um, I, I love this, this, uh, these words of prophecy that Zechariah uh, uh, utters here. He says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Notice what he doesn't say at first. He doesn't say, thank God he finally gave me a son. Thank God we waited all those years. Finally, we have what we prayed for. His first words are not about his son. They're about his Savior. Thank God that he is sending his Savior. See, his faith has become refined. It's not just his small story he's concerned about. It's God's larger story. Thank God that he is sending his Savior. Then you go towards the end of this statement in verses 76 through 77. And Zechariah says these tender words to to his son John. He says, And you, my little son, 
will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Such tender words. And they're, again, not about Zechariah's own personal happiness. I'm so glad to get to experience these years with you. They're not even about Zechariah's desires for John's personal happiness. I really hope you have a wonderful life with health, wealth, and and family blessing. None of that's there. What's there is his excitement of the part that John is going to play in God's larger story. Do you see that vision there? His vision for his son is not just about another small story. It's about playing a key part in God's larger story. And then lastly, in verses 78 through 79, we see how Zechariah, his faith in God has been refined. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. You see what he has come to see about God? Not that God is out to get him. Not that God is not looking to give him good things. But that God is tender and merciful. And I don't think we come to realize that until we come face to the face with the fact that we fall short. See, Zechariah realized, I'm a teacher in Israel, and yet I found myself lacking in faith. And instead of being condemned for that, God blessed him and refined him. God was merciful to Zechariah. And Zechariah realizes that. See, when we realize how merciful God has been to all of us, how can our hearts not respond with love and adoration of this God who has not punished us as our sins deserve, but has showered his love and his kindness upon us? So he recognizes that God is tender and merciful. And then he recognizes that the morning light from heaven is about to dawn upon us. I love this phrase here, that the morning light from heaven is breaking upon us. Now, in the Old Testament, we see that God is described as living in unapproachable light. That's how the, how the Old Testament describes God, unapproachable light. Um, think about the sun. The sun gives us light. It is a source of life. It causes things to grow. Yet, none of us could approach the sun you know, hop in a rocket ship and fly to the sun, and we would be consumed. It's unapproachable light. It's good, but it's unapproachable. And yet, Zechariah recognizes somehow this unapproachable light is approaching us. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, and God is not coming to consume, but like a sunrise. He is coming to shed light on those who sit in darkness, and then to guide those who sit in darkness through the valley of the shadow of death, to a path of peace. Did you catch that there? That we all sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. We don't know how, we don't know when, but we all have death in front of us. It's just a fact of life. And that is a result of the sin of the world, the darkness that is upon this world. But God has come, first of all, in Jesus Christ, to be in the darkness with us. Jesus knows what it's like to live in a fallen world, to experience hunger, weariness, waiting. He knows all about it. He knows what we're feeling in this season. But he came to do far more than just feel it with us. 
See, he came to go into the valley of the shadow of death for us. In going to the cross, he takes upon himself all of our darkness, our sin, our unbelief. And by taking our darkness upon himself, he offers us the path of peace. We now can be in right relationship with God. We now can have this future hope. So we now can wait with confidence because we know he has gone before us through the valley of shadow of death and out the other side. And that's our destiny too in Christ. See, Zechariah did not put that all together perfectly, but he trusted that this is what God was doing. God revealed his faith in the waiting and he refined his faith in the waiting. So the question for us is, how do we wait well? We're all going to wait. How do we wait well? Because see, the passing of time is not the same thing as waiting. Time can pass and you can wait poorly. You can become more suspicious in the waiting, more angry in the waiting. Um, You could hurt others in the waiting. So how do we wait well? Um, To be honest with you, I wish my application was clearer here. I I feel like it's been muddy all week, so bear with me, okay? Um, But I, I really think this is important. The key to waiting well is that we need to choose to wait on God by actively cultivating hope in God's larger story. We have to choose to wait on God, not something else, by actively cultivating hope in the larger story. That phrase, uh, wait on the Lord, is a frequent refrain in the Psalms. The Psalmist often says, uh, my soul waits on the Lord. I will wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Psalm 130 talks about this. Um, Psalm 135 through 6, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. In his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. You see, watchmen have an object for their waiting. It's the sunrise. A night watchman's waiting for the sun to dawn, and then their shift is over. If they make a nap in the middle of their shift, their focus, uh, they're not going to make it through. Uh, Something's going to happen to them. And so you need to have an ultimate object of your hope upon which you are waiting. The temptation for all of us in life is to make lesser things the object of our hope. A smaller story kind of thing, the object of our hope. We make it our hope just to have a nice family. Make it our hope to have a, a successful job. Make it our hope um, to go on a great vacation. Now, these are all great things, good things, lesser things, small story things. But our hearts are just pulled there for all of us. The tug is towards lesser things. We have to cultivate actively a hope in greater things. And this is one of the reasons we gather together, because we forget every week. We have to remind one another there's something bigger going on. I mean, you can go through life and have a great family, have a bunch of money, go on some great vacations, and still be lost forever. Or, or, you could have none of that and be blessed forever. Life isn't as we see it, naturally. So we have to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. And so we find ways to cultivate this hope in the ultimate. Things like lighting an Advent candle, as simple as this is. This Physical reminder as we are counting down the days, remembering that a light has entered the world, dispelling darkness. And this kind of celebration causes our hearts to to think about that and to hope for His second coming 
when he will come again. See, God always gives his people tangible ways to remember and cultivate an ultimate hope. When God's people came out of Egypt, he didn't simply say, don't forget, I saved you. All right, just remember. He gave them a celebration, the Passover. Every year, there was this feast, and there were sacrifices. Uh, all of their senses were engaged. I mean, every year, families would look forward to celebrating this together. They were connecting an enjoyable thing in their small story with an ultimate thing. This ultimate thing that God is the deliverer, and He has saved us. We have an opportunity now, during Advent season, to be connecting a present thing, celebration of Christmas, with an ultimate thing. Christ came once and He's coming again. And we cultivate our longing for that. So my, my encouragement to you in this season is to cultivate a longing for the ultimate. As you celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate communion today, these are opportunities for our, our senses to be engaged and connected to the larger story about what God has done and will do. I'm excited that we get to celebrate communion today because that's what this celebration is all about. We remember what God did for us in the past, that He came in a real body, and that body really was broken on the cross because of our sin, that His blood really was shed, and God really has forgiven all who place their faith in Him. And the way we, we conclude our communion celebration is we remember He's coming again. And so we have this meal together to be connected to this larger story that God has invited us into, and we are so blessed to be part of it. Let's pray together. Lord, I am so thankful that you have come for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have come into the darkness. The light of the world has come. Yet, Lord, we still are in a world where there is a lot of darkness, and we know that's part of your story. That Though the morning light has dawned, it's not noonday yet. And we long for your appearing. When your glory will be on full display. Where no one can doubt any longer uh, your reality and your goodness. But God, until we reach that day, I pray you'd help us uh, to not lose heart. Uh, to not become suspicious of your goodness. God, help us to wait well. So, God, I pray uh, in the remainder of our time this morning, would you be cultivating our, our appetites for you and your kingdom? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Chris